Hi, Insiders, and welcome back to a new episode of Disney Movie Insiders Presents. Today, we're getting an insider's look at the new series, Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is based on the Marvel comic books and follows the adventures of 13-year-old super genius, Lunella Lafayette, Marvel's first African-American teenage girl superhero. After Lunella accidentally brings a 10-ton T-Rex to present-day New York City, they work together to protect the Lower East Side from danger. Expect a lot of fun and a very cool visual style in the series. Moon Girl will also steal your heart. She's fierce and unafraid to protect her community, and we need more heroes just like her. Who better to tell us more about this new series than executive producer Steve Loader and supervising producer Rodney Cloudin. Hello, you two. Hi. Hello. We're so excited to talk to you today. We want to get to know you. So let's start off with, where are you from? Well, I'm originally uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, uh, but uh, went uh, and lived in the city for for quite a while. So uh, I'm East Coast based, but uh, now here in L.A. and I love it here. I was born in New York, uh, raised in L.A., did the back and forth thing, did a, a stint of my, teen, my teenage growing up in New York and then came back out to L.A. to go to school and then got a job working in animation. Went to the same high school together. Actually, but we did. We weren't in this. We were. We, we weren't together in the same at the same time. But we went to the same, same art, high school. Art high school, high school in, in, in New, New York. York City. Yeah, it's Steve, crazy. you're really trying to clear that up there. But that is such a cool fact. How cool is that? That you're literally, you know, on this journey of life, interweaving, and then yeah. here we are today. Okay, so and that's Steve, so cool. Steve, Steve was my also my first job in animation. I worked with Steve on the show called Duckman. He was a director and I was a character designer. I imagine you bonded on that though, that you went to the same, that you were at the same schools. I don't think we we didn't find out that till like recently. So recently, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I, but I, I think we were we we both were kind of we both have a a New York art sensibility. So I think that's kind of what connected us in a lot of ways. Even even during the years where we didn't know how connected we really were. Mm, that's so cool. Okay, so Ronnie, you mentioned Duckman. I want to take it back though. Was that your first project or like, when did you both know? It sounded like you were already on that path that you knew you wanted to be in entertainment or was there a light bulb moment where you knew? What was that moment? Well, for me, uh, it really happens my senior year in high, in uh, art school. But I, as a kid, I always loved drawing. I was always drawing and I drew the cartoons from the TV shows that I watched. I would make my own comic books off of those shows that I watched and then eventually would make my own comic book characters and things like that. And I, but I never knew that there was a, I didn't understand that there was a career in animation Mm. and I kind of wanted to do the comic book artist route. And I didn't know exactly what that, how to do that either, but I knew that a lot of people lived in New York doing comic books, but long story short, I met somebody who was looking for a character designer in uh, my senior year of art school and they happened to got together and then I started working on the designs and everything. And then I was like, you know what? I think this is the path I want to go. So I uh, met with the head of the illustration department at my school and he was just like, okay, so what do you want to do? And I said, I think I want to go into animation. He's like, okay, well, I have a, a guy who used to be a teacher here. He has a show on TV. I'll give you his number. You can talk to him. So I talked to him. He gave me his number to the producer. I met with the producer, showed my portfolio, told him what, told her what I wanted. Her name was Marco Pipkin. And the teacher that was, uh, the connection was Everett Peck, the creator of the Duckman show. And, uh, I met with the producer 
And she basically gave me a test. I took the test and then I was hired as a character designer. And that was my first job out of art school. That's amazing. It just sounds like 1900s. I'm sure not true at all, but it just sounds like you had all the right mentors along the way, helping you as you express your interests, your passions. It sounds like it was all fallen into place for you. And like you said, each step of the way was leading to the next thing. What about you, Steve? What was your, what was your thing for entertainment to get into it? I was super fortunate. I was actually hired by Walt Disney straight out of high school. Uh, Actually, me and my brother, who's also industry, my brother, John, um, the day after we graduated, um, I worked for Walt Disney Consumer Products in New York City doing uh, artwork for merchandise for bed sheets and T-shirts and, and, you know, all kinds of different kind of products. Um, and it, it really kind of started a career in cartooning and animation. And honestly, I've been with Disney uh, over the years, on and off for over 25 years. So at Disney, I was uh, I was on um, Legend of Tarzan. I was on Clerks animated series, uh, Jake Long American Dragon. But I think the show that I get the most asked about is uh, Kim Possible. I was, I'm hearing the ringtone in my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that a lot too. <laughs> I grew up. Yeah, I grew up with that. That's amazing. That's so cool. You have such a rich history. And just to hear like right out the gate, you said from high school, like that's unheard of. That's just so amazing to be able, like, do you ever have that moment where you're like, wow, you see how other people, you hear their stories and you're like, what a story. It's very, it's very fortunate. I mean, I, I, what, what is great is that I had, I didn't have the college experience, but I kind of had that college experience working among a bunch of great New York Disney artists. So I got my education there, but yeah, it was, it was such an amazing experience. And it really kind of early on kind of really showed me the magic of Disney and the connection that it has with the audience and that, that special bond that you have uh, of, 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 of and responsibility of putting out something that, you know, it will mean something to somebody. So it was a really good early exposure to, to that level of audience connection. It was really funny for me too. Now that I'm, I started in animation, it was always a question, oh, Oh, so what do you do? I work in animation. Oh, you work for Disney? No, I, I don't work for Disney. I, <laughs> there's other series, but, you know, some odd decades now, I officially am working for Disney. Mm. I was about to say, Ronnie, you tell him I'm working for Disney now. <laughs> 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 okay, so we were talking about that, though. Rodney, you're saying at Disney, like, you hear that from other people. Steve, like, your experience with Disney all that means, like all that content means something to people. But in general, what were the shows that inspired you on your path into entertainment? What were the things that still stick with you today? Like that King Possible ringtone for me. What are those shows? What are those moments for you? Yeah, you know, I watched a variety of things. And and a lot of, you know, it always starts off with the the Warner Brothers cartoons, the Bugs Bunnies and, and the, all that stuff. And then you go into the uh, UPA cartoons, which were like a very different artistic style, which took the animation style to another level and very graphic and, and fun and playful and against the traditional type. And then, you know, the Rockies and Bo- Rocky and Bullwinkle show. And then as you get older, it was like the GI Joes, the Transformers and all the the, the anime, Robotech and, and anime shows. And, uh, you know, and, and now, 
and and also like Disney films, like I love the Jungle Book and and Sleeping yeah. Beauty. And I think for those in One One Dalmatians, I think it was just really about just the style. I always I always gravitated to the animation style, the style of drawing and, and the graphicness of everything. That's I do I do that when I'm reading comic books too. I like at the art first before I read what's going on. So that's what matters to me. And uh, and now it's you know I'm looking at a lot of stuff. <laughs> A lot of the new shows. <laughs> yeah. Look at I, that. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, what an abundance, what a rich, you know, lineup. Like how many different kinds of things inspired you, which is super, super cool. Uh, yeah. Steve, what were you, what's your inspiration? Your inspiration? Yeah. A lot of similar uh, things. Um, grew up with, you know, Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes cartoons, the Chuck Jones, the Bob Clampett ones. Uh, I'll also even throw on the the Tex Avery MGM yeah, yeah. cartoons. But I think that um, growing up in New York, there was a lot of opportunity to see a lot of things that you wouldn't normally see because there was kind of mm. an art epicenter there. So I remember seeing early uh, Miyazaki's My Neighbor Totoro on uh, a very, very poorly uh, subtitled uh, VHS that people were circulating because it, it didn't exist in the U.S. at that point. And remember thinking this is something really, really special. So I think I was gravitated towards uh, certain types of anime early as well, which I think kind of fed into the inspiration and, and kind of where we we, we landed ultimately. I love the different kinds of inspiration that you're talking about. I also love how you're both um, talking about the Bugs Money cartoons, how that can be like one of those grounding things for both of you. Super, yeah. super cool. Well, one thing that we love about your show, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, is that it comes from comics. Like that's super cool. So can you talk to us about the process of adapting a comic into a series? Rodney, you're talking about your passion with comics. I'd love to start with you. Well, you know, you know, you have this comic book. And it's it's you want to make a show about it. So you how do you make a adapt a show from a comic book and make it cool? And uh, you know, we definitely had an inspiration from, and I think a lot of people will have the inspiration all from the movie, the Spider-Verse movie, which kind of let the creative juices flow and allow people to go, you know what, we can take some our own thing and make it fresh and new and exciting too, you know, and go a different route. And uh, just because of the success of that, and we wanted to do the same thing, you know, but, you know, do it our way, but on a TV budget and, uh, and uh, create something that is fresh and new and in our, in our own style and plant our own flag in the sand. But, and a lot of the inspiration, you know, is from comic books. It's a comic book show. So, and it's about New York. What is New York? New York is very gritty, has an edge, it has texture. So we played around a lot with the, the style and inspiration of like graffiti art and pop art, like Andy Warhol, Basquiat, Keith Haring, and, you know, Walt Paragoy, going into the Disney catalog there and uh, playing with the dot screens of the, the, uh, comic books, you know, kind of the old, the more of the old school style of comic books where it was print and uh, the sketchy line quality of, of a pen and ink kind of style. So we wanted to really lean in to that stylistic choice of, of making it visually exciting and interesting. Absolutely. And, and I think that one of the other aspects is the storytelling as well. We, um, it was really fortunate that we had a lot of people that had worked on uh, Disney features 
mm. uh, work on this show as well, because I think it gave it a deeper sense of storytelling. When we were starting to develop the show and we were using, of course, the comic as kind of the, the starting point, uh, in adapting it to a different medium, of course, sometimes characters change and because you need, you need animation, you know, a print form to an animated project and, and the longevity of a series, because you need a character to go through arcs, you need a character to kind of grow and evolve. It has kind of a different storytelling process. But when we started to kind of talk about the characters and really figure out how are they going to be applied to the series and how do they grow and evolve, I think that we ended up with a with an hour long presentation on each character, because wow. you think about okay, this is this is who they are, this is this is what they want, this is what they need, but maybe that's not what they really want or what they really need, and so you can really deep dive into the psychosis of a character and then. As you come up with episodes from that point on, you could almost automatically figure out what their reaction would be in any given situation because you've done so much homework trying to figure out who the characters are. I mean, that's so cool. It's It sounds like you did a tremendous amount of research. You did all the work, like you said, from the visual perspective. So cool to hear a Spider-Verse reference because I did. I absolutely loved that. I grew up on Archie Comics and you're talking about that dot style. Like mm -hmm. I see that. And then over here, Steve, you're saying like, these are characters that are really developed and you're thinking about the story and how obviously it's all the pieces coming together to create, to create something that's so cool. So would you say those are your favorite parts of the production or what would you say is your favorite part knowing that there's just so much here? So cool. Honestly, it's, it's, I think the best part is yet to come is the audience reaction. I think we, we've, we've created a very collaborative show where we wanted to make sure that everyone had a voice. Uh, and I, I actually had learned that from Feature, where if you kind of open the door and you let opinions in and you let critiques in, mm -hmm. it just strengthens, you know, what you're trying to do. So it, we we made sure on this show that everyone had an opportunity to kind of speak speak their truth, speak their opinion and their whatever they felt about what we were doing, and it made it stronger. And where we're going with this is we're well, I'm waiting for the audience reaction because I feel like we're in love with the show. We really feel like we've made something special and we're hoping that the audience uh, feels that way too. So I'm excited to share it with people, honestly. Yeah. And I, and I definitely it's, it's something that I hope the audience can uh, resonate with and relate to Lunella and relate to her mm -hmm. stories. And, you know, we, we really wanted to introduce a multi-generational family dynamic where you have her grandparents and her parents living in the same house. And just in terms of just storytelling and subject matter, what we you know, what a 13 year old girl deals with, you know, she just happens to be a superhero, but she's still a 13 year old <laughs> girl, you know? So, and, and that's really wanted the reliability and, and, and that's part, also part of the collaborative process. You know, there's a lot of people that have input into it. And it also that having that input helps the artists also have, a feeling of ownership in working on this project, Moon Girl and Have Dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much, though. I think that's really cool what you're talking about, the collaboration, like bringing other people in, and also specifically what you were talking about, Rodney, that hit home for me, too, like the community, like the setting of New York. Mm -hmm. I love how you see all of Lunella's family in this. It's really, really there's going to be a character that you can connect to. Like if it's a family viewing of this show, you know, like someone's going to be able to find that character like, oh, that's me in the family. Yeah. I, I want to ask specifically about New York, though, because you're both from New York, you said. And I hear you're now living in L.A. 
that personal aspect, like what did you try to inject in this with your background coming from New York? Well, I think it was important for both Rodney and I to project an accurate New York. Um, I think New York has been misrepresented in a lot of film projects. Uh, I mean, I remember watching a movie once where suddenly characters were running down a, a, a steep hill, and I can, I can certainly tell you there are no steep hills. So uh, I think it was really important for us to make sure that it was street accurate so that the Lunella lives on the Lower East Side and you're going to see building structures and you're going to see street signs and you're going to see where subway stops are that are accurate to New York mm. City because honestly Rodney and I couldn't go back to visit anyone if we if we did it wrong to be honest with you. So. Yeah and I, I like the two is you know you're talking about also just not just the backgrounds but also the people, the characters, the incidentals, mm-hmm. even the incidentals in the back, you know, New York is a very diverse city, you know, because everybody has to live together. They travel, train, and they go work here and they're walking the streets. And we wanted to also have a, a more, a very diverse and accurate portrayal of what city life is. It comes through. I would say that in addition to that, there's almost like a rhythm of the city, right? And yeah, that's also yeah. reflected mm-hmm. in the music that yes. we hear in this as well which I think is a great segue into the question of how did you find an executive music producer? Because we we just mentioned that there's a rhythm of the city. There's a certain tone, a certain vibe that you're having to create in this. And you know, New York. So where do you begin there? Well, it was a challenging task because truthfully, when you think of New York, you could walk down any given street at any given time and hear a plastic tub drummer on this corner and a violin player on this corner. (laughs) So there's no definable sound for New York. But uh, it was pretty clear early on that we had to get someone that really could could encompass an entire feel of of a city, a vibrant city. Mm -hmm. And I'm a huge music nerd. So so I know a lot of music as a fan. And one of one of my (laughs) one of the biggest stars that I absolutely adore is Raphael Sadiq. So Raphael Sadiq was was in a band, Tony, 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 in the 90s. But since then, he's been an amazing solo artist, an amazing producer. He's been Academy Award nominated. I mean, he's he's absolutely incredible. And we we thought initially that, okay, he's the perfect person. But can we get him? I mean, he's very busy. He's very popular. He's very in demand. So, so I took it upon myself to, to apply the personal touch. Mm-hmm. So he was doing a record signing in LA. Uh, so I made sure I was first in line and I had my record there. And as he signed my record in the, in the 30 seconds it took to sign the record, I pitched him the show and he <laughs> fell in love with the show within 30 seconds. And we had a handshake deal right on the spot. And I got to tell you, the music he's providing is incredible. He goes deep into the storytelling. So when we have a song that we need, he reads the script. We talk to him about character motivation and theme. And it's just absolutely incredible. And the styles that he's applying across the entire, every episode, we ask for something unique and special. And he just takes it and runs with it. That's so cool. You must be so, like you said, please, because again, you, you've lived the energy of New York and then now you're seeing it come to the screen. You're creating this world of New York yeah, in the way that you are, which is so yeah, cool. Yeah, the vibe, you know, just with the music itself also helps to enhance the vibe of the city yeah. and the feel of the show, which I feel like is unique to any other like Disney show and, uh, yeah. you know, musically and sonically. So, you know, like 
Raphael understood the assignment, what we wanted to have, something that is unique, fresh, and doesn't feel dumbed down for the audience because the audience is not dumb. They're sophisticated. They listen to the radio. They know what's up, what's out there. So we wanted to create something that is fresh for our show. That's so cool. It is. It's super fresh. And it's very, like you said, it's representing so much of what New York is. The community is is everyone all together. So speaking of that, I want to ask you, what do you think kids will like when watching this show and their parents when they're watching with them? I think that uh, it was really fortunate to have a feature experience at Disney Toon. I did a, I did a movie, Tinkerbell and the Legend of the Never Beast, and that was my first exposure to feature filmmaking. But it was it was made apparent to me that you had to do something called four quadrant. In the industry, we call it four quadrant, which basically mm-hmm. means that it needs to appeal to children and to parents and to adults, and it really has to appeal to everyone. And I think that was a good lesson to be learned because moving forward, you do want to have entertainment where you don't just take a child and you put him in front of a screen and then leave the room. You want to have stories that are engaging so that your the parents and the kids can kind of get involved and talk about it. And we made sure that each episode had a subject matter that was not only relatable to a 13-year-old, but relatable to everyone. So for this episode, Lunella's lesson basically to be learned is she's impatient, or this episode is about jealousy. It's something relatable, but it's also something that you can talk about. You can open a conversation because it's it's sophisticated storytelling that has deep characters and deep lessons to be learned. So I think that was really important to make sure it was for everybody. And also because it looked, we think that it looks really good. The show looks really good. And I think that in itself is the immediate appeal. I believe, mm-hmm. you know, when you see the show, you see the the style and you're going, wow, look at that. And then it's a Marvel. You got the Marvel cachet attached to that. And you know that Marvel has the quality of the storytelling and and the music and every and the humor and the action of it. So that immediately gets the the eyes on it. So then when you get the eyes on it and then you and you're watching the show, that hope is that they see that there's a very deep message that is involved in each episode of the show. And and you know, like you said, it's about community. Lunella cares about her community. That's just something that she learned from her mom. And her mom learns from her her mom, you know, from the grandparents, you know, so they're all teaching something. And there's that dynamic of the multi-generational, let me get that word out, dynamic that Lunella gets to experience, which I think that also can translate to the viewership. Exactly. It's a very, like you said, amazing, cool visuals, and it steals your heart at the same time. So you know what? I've had a great time talking to you both. I want to get to know you more, though. Are you ready to take on the Insider Five with us? Of course. I guess, yes. (laughs) First question. What is your earliest memory of being a Disney movie fan? Steve, let's go with you. Black Cauldron at Radio City Music Hall in New York City. Rodney? I think it was the Black Hole, the movie, the Black Hole. I liked that Vincent Robot and Maximilian. I thought they were really cool. Okay, I'm a, gonna act- people don't love that movie, but I did. That's my first memory. Of, I remember. I literally am <laughs> like, I'm gonna have to go back and like watch this. I'm like, I don't. <laughs> awesome. If you could only ride one ride all day at a Disney park, which would it be? Star Tours. Yeah, I think Star Tours uh, or the Haunted Mansion. Nice. Ready, ready for it. It's Disney Karaoke Night. 
what song do you sing? Ooh, uh, I'm not a great singer, but uh, When Somebody Loved Me from Toy Story 2 just emotionally gets me every time. So that's a standout for me. Tears are coming. Rodney, what about you? <laughs> I can't remember, but it has some, it's Peebo Bryson singer. I think I was singing it the other day too. <laughs> was that End of Beauty and the Beast? Was that the yes, Peebo Bryson version? Yes, it was. Yes, yes. Because there was always the end credit version. So yes, you like Peebo Bryson. I think I was credits. singing. I don't know why it was in my head. I think I saw Peebo Bryson on Instagram and then I started singing that song. <laughs> Isn't that so cool about music yeah. like that? It comes yeah. back and it hits you. I love the nostalgia on that one. So cool. Okay. You were invited to a Disney themed costume party. Who or what do you dress as? Stitch. He was so good. <laughs> I think I'll be. Dr. Facilia. <laughs> nice. Okay, and to close this out, which Disney character has the best life advice and what is it? Okay, uh, yeah, Ronnie, I'm, I'm, I think I'm stealing your answer, but Mimi from uh, <laughs> yeah, from Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur to me, that's that's the person I would go to for advice for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'd probably say Mimi too. I was, uh, second choice would be Baloo. <laughs> Uh, okay, <laughs> we'll follow up on this. What is the what is the life advice? So even if you have Mimi the same one, is there maybe a different life advice that she's imparted on people? Well, I will say this. Uh, Mimi is based on one of our executive producers, Helen Sutherland. Um, it's the it, she works with Lawrence Fishburne and the production company Cinema Gypsy. They've made blackish, grownish, and mixedish, and all the issues. Uh, and she's an absolutely amazing person. So there's been times where I've called her for advice on many Aww. things, and so we a lot of her life lessons have found their way into the show. So I think it's a, she imparts a, a wisdom, which is a wide scope of ranging subjects, actually. Mm, that's really, really special. It's very personal to both of you, just as we started this conversation. Thank you both so much for the time today, Steve. Rodney, thank you so much for this wonderful new show, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. And we're so excited for more people to watch it. Thank, thank you. you. That's our show. You can watch Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur on the Disney Channel and stream it on Disney+. Plus. So you don't miss any upcoming podcast episodes, subscribe and follow Disney Movie Insiders Presents. And while you're there, we'd love it if you gave us a rating and review. Visit DisneyMovieInsiders.com or our app and enter bonus code LUNELLA. The code expires February 28, 2023 at 11.59 p.m. Pacific Time. Membership is required. Limit one redemption per account. Visit DisneyMovieInsiders.com for terms and conditions. We'll catch you next time, Insiders, with more Disney movie magic.